All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Navani, and I'm joined today, as always, by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. The NFL has wrapped up its 14th week, and we're here to react to the best action from this past weekend. We'll discuss the Chiefs' big win in Foxborough, Duck Hodges and the Steelers holding on to their playoff position, the 49ers jumping back in the first place in the NFC, and more. The college football playoff is set as LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma are ready to compete for this season's national championship. We'll weigh in on the committee's final rankings and debate whether the field should expand beyond just four teams before giving our predictions for the semifinals and championship game. And in honor of the 2010s ending this month, the three of us count down our favorite personal sports accomplishments of the past decade in today's Top 5. So NFL Week 14 reactions. Uh, we'll get. We'll be covering a few games, including all of our favorite teams. We have college football playoff field has been announced. We'll give our thoughts on the four teams who are in the field, as well as our predictions for those games. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to do a quick plug of our greatest U.S. sports moments of the 2010s bracket competition. We announced that uh, the last time we had an episode, the whole field to this point, we've completed first round, second round, and as of the time you're listening to this, the Sweet 16 voting, maybe a gap uh, with the Elite Eight starting or underway. So, hey, if it's Thursday, December 11th, sorry, Thursday, December 12th or Friday, December 13th, go vote for the Elite Eight. If it's next week, by the time you listen to this, vote for the semifinals or even the championship if it takes you forever to get to this one. Uh, so that's at He's Done It Pod on Twitter. Um, so at this point, we've already seen a lot of upsets and yeah, a lot of I, fun things. <laughs> I did not expect Cardale Jones to make it this far. Ohio State fans have shown out. Um, I'm, I will definitely be talking about their fans when we talk about the college football playoffs. But yeah, go ahead and do that. Uh, get those votes cast. We've had a ton of votes in the first round, not as many in the second. It's bumped up a little in the Sweet 16. The more people that vote, the more meaningful this award or honor will be. So uh, with as that, we record, as we record, number five Nick Foles, uh, the Philly special is crushing. It Malcolm is destroying Butler. Malcolm goal line, Butler. which just goes to show you how unpopular the Green Patriots are. <laughs> Even UMBC was beating the uh, Patriots Super Bowl comeback last I saw. So we'll see if either of those can pull out the victory uh, in the next few hours. But let's jump ahead to Week 14 NFL reactions. Speaking of the Patriots, let's start with them. So this week. Uh, they're coming off a loss to the Houston Texans, but they're back home in Gillette Stadium. Hadn't lost there since October 1st, 2017. They take on the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a rematch of the AFC Championship game. And unlike that AFC Championship game, defense won out. 
Chiefs won this one 23-16. Of course, one of the bigger stories from this game was the officiating and a couple plays that really screwed over the Patriots. Uh, I think you know, whether you feel any sympathy for them, I certainly don't. Uh, it, you can't deny that. So let's jump right into that and uh, talk about those uh, touchdowns that were never meant to be. I just don't understand why it can't be both the Patriots offense sucked and the refs also screwed them of potentially winning that game. I mean, just going back and forth of, well, the refs, if they didn't blow this, if they didn't blow those two calls, the Patriots definitely would have won. Well, what about the Patriots offense? They certainly didn't play well in this game. And then it's like, well, what about the Kelsey fumble? That would have helped the Patriots score. And it's like, well, what about the Patriots benefiting from calls in the past? Like it just goes on and on. And just, I don't know why it can't just be both that, the Patriots suck, often sucked, but paid, the refs also uh, blew it. But yeah, I think the, the defense played fine, though. Uh, they only gave up three points in the second half, and one of the touchdowns they gave up was on short field after Brady's costly interception. But it's the story is more of the offense. Their O line, the O line can't protect Brady. Sony Michelle has done is not producing whatsoever. Jacoby Myers had three really. Uh, crucial drops in that game, including one of them uh, being the the potential touchdown uh, to make it a closer game. And then Nikhil Harry, he had that one play where it should have been a touchdown and it wasn't. And outside of that, he didn't get to do anything. And the Patriots just, the offense, the Patriots offense, the coaching staff, Brady, they just don't trust him, which I think is a shame because if you look around the league, uh, guys like Darius Slayton, who had two touchdowns uh, just yesterday versus Philly, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, all these rookie receivers are having great years, but for some reason, the for some reason, Nikhil Harry isn't. It's either their playbook is too hard, or the Patriots just don't don't know how to draft or develop receivers, and uh, it's it's a shame. Yeah, it's well. First, just going back to like the the missed calls. Let's start with the missed calls. I, have, yeah, I was hoping I, that we could avoid that uh, long rant just now. But let's focus sorry. on the missed calls and then <laughs> no, talk no, no, about I the mean, offense. <laughs> well, just by uh, I don't want to be the homer that just blames the refs. No, no, I, no, no, I, no, no, that's no, fair. That I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, what, I, what I'm trying to say is that there are missed calls in every single football game, and there are some that are more blatant than others, and sometimes you just get the bad end of it, and. It's frustrating because it would um, be more interesting to know, you know, if it, all the all the calls were fair, who actually would have won this game, uh, because the Patriots looked very beatable, but the defense score like slowed down Patrick Mahomes so much. Honestly, it it feels like we got robbed of what could have been a slightly better game. Um, but at the same time, I have trouble drawing any conclusions from this. It feels like every year we say, oh, the Patriots are washed. Oh, they've got no talent. Oh, they're definitely going to lose. Like AFC East is bad. That's why they have a good record. And then we'll see them late in the postseason again. So while a lot of people are willing to say that this is it, they really are washed and the offense is totally uh, worthless, I can't. It's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I'll see you in the postseason. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to count out either. I mean, if you look at all their losses, they were – I mean, the Ravens, they kind of killed them, but they look like they've been in every single game or a contention of winning of every game. Uh, I mean, just look at the Ravens game where Edelman had that crucial fumble that gave the gave the Ravens defense uh, a touchdown. If the Patriots if, – if Edelman doesn't fumble there and the Patriots drive down the field and score, we got a much closer game. So I, I, they've been in every single game, even as poorly as their offense has played. If their offense can do just a little bit more, 
than they have in the past few weeks, then I like their chances in each game. Yeah, I mean, I think that as long as the Patriots have this fantastic defense and just as good, if not better, special teams, they'll be able to win with a mediocre offense. We've seen teams in years past win and in a season where it feels like we have a lot of really really good teams but there's not one dominant one uh, above everyone else you maybe make the case the Ravens looking at the past nine weeks but it, it does feel like they're very much still in play that being said the offense is a lot of question marks and yes officiating was a huge problem I hate when uh, the NFL refs decide to blow plays dead, like on fumbles, and the defense gets robbed of a fumble return touchdown. The Saints got robbed of it in week two. The Saints, it happened with Cameron Jordan, and it happened with the Bucs against the Titans in a game where they lost by four points. So this is another case of the Patriots. Now, I don't know if Savon Gilmore would have taken them back for a touchdown. Regardless... Nikhil Harry scored a touchdown. It, it, you, you can't yep. watch the replay and say you didn't score. Patriots were out of challenges, weren't able to uh, get a review on that. That being said, the refs didn't stop the Patriots from scoring when they had a first and goal at the three and wound up with a fourth and goal at the 11. So they still had opportunities. Like you mentioned, Jacoby Myers dropped touchdown in the end zone. Uh, and then when you had uh, on the drive where they were attempting to win the game down by seven you had a a blatant miss or maybe not blatant but a pretty seemed like this could have been pass interference as the Patriots were able to challenge it and get it reviewed but regardless Brady was still able to pick up that fourth and six 17 yard run and put him at the same spot anyway so and they still couldn't score because of great plays by the Chiefs defense so yeah to me there's reason to be concerned about the offense I looked thought there were reason to be concerned about the defense in that second quarter when Patrick Mahomes seemed to figure it out after some early struggles but then he was held to three points in the second half it's not something we're used to seeing out of the Chiefs against the Patriots yeah, even the, last year the, what the, they were the, shut out at halftime yeah the so last Last two games, or the two games last year, Mahomes did nothing. Mahomes and the offense did nothing in the first half, but then just tore it up in the second half both times. So, yeah, it was vice versa in this past game. Yeah, so absolutely great defense by the Patriots. So special teams, what got him back in the game? A blocked punt. That was what beat the Bills. That was what beat the Cowboys. And, uh, you know, there, there are plenty of reasons the Patriots could have won the game. You, They absolutely did feel like they got cheated, at the very least, overtime. Um, you know, we could have ended up in a no, similar scenario as last it, we year. We definitely could have seen overtime, which which definitely blows. And I even said it weeks ago, where even though the Patriots benefited from the call versus the Cowboys, I was personally mad that the other team didn't get a real opportunity to have a have a chance of winning that game. And I just hate that how how badly the refs have just killed some of these games. And it's it's not even just football; it's other sports too. Look at uh look at James Harden's dunk that went in the basket. And then all of a sudden they don't make that call. I don't understand the replay system sometimes. Yeah, every single sport, you know, fans are clamoring for robot umps in baseball. And you know people are always talking about officials in football, basketball, hockey. Um, I know refs were a big storyline in the Stanley Cup Finals this year. So, yeah, it, this is absolutely something that it's an epidemic across all sports, across all levels. I just find it funny, the Patriots fans' reactions to this, because you can tell, like, a lot of them aren't used to seeing their team have, like, victories snatched from them by the officials. Um, I, I was actually texting one of our friends, uh, I'll, I'll keep him anonymous, who was like, they should make they should automatically review every single play. I'm like, no. do you want five-hour <laughs> no. games? What? Slowing the game down, turning it into yeah. baseball. Be, I don't want be epic. that. No. Football would literally last all Sunday. The 1 p.m. games would end at 11 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like you said, Brian, this happens, and Ben, I think you said as well, it happens to teams all the time. And, you know, as we've said, the Patriots had opportunities. There's reasons to be concerned going forward. Just change it for the obvious. Just change the obvious calls that are obvious. I mean, that that could have been an obvious one that could have been overturned. Um, I don't expect a sweeping change of the replay system. I don't expect a sweeping change of the way refs are treated. Here's the thing. You you do have a challenge. And I know the Patriots didn't mm-hmm. have one at that time, but that's why you save your challenge for ones you can win. Belichick so you could did blow that, that one. He did blow yeah. the... End up challenging the the first down. That was a mistake. Yeah, I didn't actually right. watch that, but I've heard that it was something that probably should have been ruled in the Patriots' favor. I don't know what your from thoughts are. From one angle, it looked like a first down, but then from another angle, it really didn't look like Sammy Watkins got the first down there. So I, I have no idea, but... Yeah. Okay. Well, I just that that I think is the reason they won't change the rules because if it's an obvious thing that should be reviewed, then just make sure you have a challenge. And uh, and what that takes is being a good head coach who knows when to challenge. And no one's saying Bill Belichick isn't a good head coach, but that you know he slipped up on this one. If 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 that was Andy Reid who did that, people would everywhere be ripping him. So it's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Mike Tomlin as well, he, he I think, lost 10 straight challenges, went two or three years without uh, winning a challenge. So I'm, I'm plenty used to that. Uh, I guess just, you know, last thoughts on the Patriots. So last year it was, you know, week 14 and 15, back-to-back losses to the Dolphins, of course, the Miami Miracle play, and then the Steelers in Heinz Field. And that was they dropped to 9-5. and five. That was territory we hadn't seen them in. Their last two games, at home against the Bills, at home against the Jets, two divisional opponents, two not great teams. And they went out and they dominated both games, thanks in part to establishing their running game, which is something that uh, they used to take them through the playoffs and ultimately win the Super Bowl. This season, it that's hasn't been the same. Wh- that's ultimately the reason why they were able to win- go all the way last year was because the offensive line really stepped up and because of that Sony Michelle had three fantastic games and for this year it's been different Sony Michelle has done mm-hmm. squad yeah, the offensive line hasn't been as great the run game hasn't been as great losing Trent so, Brown to free agency and David Andrews their center on IR right now is killed them Patriots next three games Cincinnati Buffalo Miami Bengals have the worst run defense in the league the Bills, I, I think their run defense is kind of, in terms of how not good it is, is it's a mediocre. little blown it's, up. It's, decent. it's, it's, it's 14th mediocre. in the league. Yeah. It's I think because of how great their pass defense is, it, you're like, oh, you can run on the Bills, but there are a lot more teams you can actually run on. Yeah. And then the Dolphins, I think, are tied for 30th. That being said, the Chiefs are the 28th run defense. Their thought, run defense th- problems have been well documented, yeah. and, and that, you know it wasn't necessarily a, a difference maker for the Patriots in this game. Yeah, so. I, I thought this was a get-right spot for Michelle in the running game, but he only had eight wasn't. yards, right? Yeah, eight yards, and then he was just benched the rest of the game, which I don't blame him for because he didn't look good on the few runs that he had. Yeah, so we'll see if the Patriots turn it around. And I guess the one good news for them is going into the Bengals game, they know every single Bengals play signal from their uh, nice little videotaping of that Do Your Job series. So there should be plenty prepared this is, for this that This is not one. something I needed. Like, after every everything that's happened with the Patriots offense, like, what can make this weekend go worse? Let's have another Yeah, Spygate round two. Yeah, just, just people quit to conclusions, whether if you're a Patriots fan or a Patriots hater. And... It's just so not worth it, the competitive edge, spy game, deflate gate. Getting you're, the smallest slight of edge 
and to have all this scrutiny is just so not. It was it. with the Bengals, right? That's who they're allegedly filming. Yeah, they really, yeah. they well, really need. So to get... tell me this. So what the heck are the Patriots doing recording the Bengals? Why are well, you cheating against well, them? Well, there have been reports that it's part of it's for a do your job feature, and Belichick has nothing to do with it. And I, I, right, I can't, right, right, I can't right, confirm this. Is, but from... I don't think he's part of it, but it. Coming from the perspective of someone who thinks the Patriots are cheating, in what world do the Patriots need help beating the Bengals, especially the Bengals who are dead set on tanking? Because why would you give up the chance to get Joe Burrow to so that you can beat the Patriots once? You know, like it just, just doesn't add up to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. It's either terrible optics in terms of them doing something, thinking, oh, this would be fun for the fans, uh, and now we're in this scandal, or they haven't been doing it only against the Bengals, and it's only the Bengals who caught them. That's a good Uh, Or things are really that desperate in New England. They're like, oh, we can't (laughs) lose to the one in 12 Bengals. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what to think of it. (laughs) Hey. Well, we'll see though. You know, we'll see how this game goes. If this that becomes more controversy. Anyway, let's move on to an AFC team that is hard to point out any flaws with. That's the Baltimore Ravens. Wasn't their most dominant performance in Buffalo against a really good Bills team. Yet they still found a way to win, twenty-four to seventeen, and at eleven and two, with the Patriots falling to ten and three, it feels like the Ravens are pretty much a lock to have the number one seed in the AFC playoffs and have the road to the Super Bowl go through M and T Bank Stadium. Yeah, I I liked this matchup on paper, uh, but honestly, I was a little disappointed by the game. Uh, I mean, the Ravens were up by two scores until like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and I don't really trust Josh Allen to be that clutch fourth quarter quarterback. And even though he got bailed out by a couple like big defensive penalties, I still never thought it was really a threat. Like that Ravens defense is good, and they they came through in what you can call clutch time, but I think actually was garbage time. I think one thing I respect about the Ravens is that they can win games super ugly. Just shows you how good of a team they are. I mean, look at their offense. Outside Lamar Jackson, they don't have really any great dynamic receivers to throw to, but they just go uh, Excuse they me, go, Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I was going to go to. Like they, they go strictly their tight ends of Andrews, Nick Boyle, and Hayden Hurst. Yeah. That's right. Uh, and then Mark Ingram also running the ball as well. So it's not a super like chiefs kind of offense where you got all these targets to throw to, but, but it's working for them right now. Yeah. So back when we um, went through our divisional previews back in August during the off season, we kind of went through our, uh, what player would have the biggest impact on the, you know, each division. And I I was caught up in Devin Bush being the 10th overall pick. And uh, he was an easy first answer for me. I know you guys went with Odell, who, of course, he's had a great impact and how terrible the Browns have been. Uh, But Mark (laughs) Ingram was like the the backup option for me. And I think he's been such a huge part of keeping that offense going and knowing that, you know, Lamar Jackson doesn't have to do everything on the ground because, you know, he's better than Gus Edwards. He's better than Alex Collins. They have a legitimate Pro Bowl caliber running back in that offense. And they don't necessarily need a bunch of big body receivers when they have all those great tight ends and I think one thing we don't talk about is that Mark Andrews he's kind of becoming in the conversation at least for best tight end in the league I don't think he's up there but I think he's he's kind of flirting in that it seems like he's making great plays all the time so yeah the Ravens offense even though it feels like they shouldn't be as great as they are they've found ways to piece together an offense under Greg Roman that's really difficult for even the best defenses in the league to stop and while the Bills did as much as they could 
one of the better performances of the season. The Ravens still scored 24 points, and their defense was still solid enough that it never felt like they were in huge danger of uh, blowing this game. Yeah, I'm gonna. He's definitely Mark Andrews is playing so good that he's definitely in the conversation for second best. Yeah, game, that's really what I was just about to say. You can't even. That, that's exactly. What he's you're right. so I mean, well he, he, that some yeah, people are saying he could he, be the for second, second best, best tight, end. tight end. Yeah, <laughs> he's not the best. He's yeah. not the best. I won't say that. Maybe top five would be a more appropriate description there. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, the Ravens at this point. I mean, their their last three games. So they play the Jets on Thursday night football and. Lamar Jackson has a quad injury. He was a limited participant in practice. I can't imagine him actually not playing. I don't know if RG3 anyway would be a significant drop-off against the New York Jets, um, given you know just how bad they were against the Bengals and how they, they barely beat the Dolphins this weekend. Uh, but that, that is certainly something to monitor and feels like the one thing that could really slow down this Baltimore team. But, yeah, I mean, beyond that, they they look like they're in, in really solid position to, you know, clamp down on that one seed. So, ideally, their Week 17 matchup at home against the Steelers won't matter. They'll have it all locked up, so that way the Steelers, you know, they, they can go into that one facing the backups and ideally pull out a big win. But with the way they're playing right now, they might not even need to win that game to clinch a playoff berth as they continue to uh, ride undrafted quarterback Devlin Duck Hodges to victory. Quack, and yeah, hey, this it, it isn't always pretty, but he's been getting better and better every week. And the Steelers' defense is still dominant, knocking off the Cardinals twenty-three to seventeen. And it's getting to the point where I'm wondering if the Steelers are becoming that team you don't want to see in the playoffs because they're going to be a wild card, but. And they've already slowed down Lamar Jackson in the past against you know when they played the Ravens in Week Five and uh, they they beat some decent teams maybe not some great ones but uh, it's it's definitely feeling a lot more optimistic about this team than I should be. Yeah, they started the season zero and three and they're getting these wins without James Conner or Juju Smith Schuster. And you can make a case. I, I hate saying this because I'm not a Tomlin fan, but you really could make a case that he's the coach of the year this season and. Yeah, I mean, you start at 0 and 3. You don't have you have Rudolph the Red Nose reigned here and Duck Dynasty as your quarterbacks this year, and you're pulling out these wins. So, uh, I think Mike Tomlin deserves at least consideration for Coach of the Year. Definitely, definitely. Uh, just the Steelers organization in general. Like, just take a moment to appreciate the consistency of this franchise. I mean, they're they're pretty much never bad, no matter what. Like, even if they lose their first two quarterbacks, they're like, you know what? We're still gonna be three games over five hundred because we're the Steelers and we're just never bad. Yeah, I mean, to me, if the Steelers make the playoffs, and I think Mike Tomlin is very much deserving of Coach of the Year, I actually looked it up, and I know some organizations give an Executive of the Year. I don't think the NFL officially gives one, but Kevin Colbert, he's GM. He might be in his last year. He's not under contract. There's reports of him potentially wanting to retire or even go to the Carolina Panthers where uh, their owner is trying to bring him in, but he's done some unconventional things in free agency. He traded up to draft Devin Bush. He traded a first round pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick. The first time the Steelers traded away a first round pick since 1967. And this defense is at the point where they're right up there. uh, Top five defense in the league, just creating turnovers, something they couldn't do last year. Uh, Big sacks. I mean, yeah, Kyler Murray picked off three times in this game. Terrible throw to uh, on that one that TJ Watt got in the end zone. But it's it's just about being in the right place, the right time, baiting a rookie quarterback into making mistakes and making sure that your undrafted rookie quarterback can win a game against the number one overall pick because your defense is that much better. 
Joe Hayden, early in the season, it kind of felt like he was a little disappointment getting that contract extension, but he's come up huge in back-to-back games now with a game-sealing pick against the Browns and now the game-sealing pick against the Cardinals. And Doc Hodges, 16 for 19, 152 yards and a touchdown. And it's not like this is a Steelers offensive pass. You know, last year you could probably take out Ben Roethlisberger and expect these kind of numbers from a backup, but he didn't have Juju Smith-Schuster, didn't have James Conner. His running backs are Jalen Samuels, a fifth-round pick, Benny Snell, a fourth-round pick, Kareth White, who came off uh, the Bears practice squad. His receivers, he has a rookie in Deontay Johnson, who had his, his best game of his career uh, with six catches, 60 yards, a receiving touchdown, and a punt return touchdown. James Washington, a second-year guy, he looked like a bust until Duck Hodges came in, and he's been phenomenal. Deion Kane taking him off the Colts practice squad like it's just a bunch of like undrafted guys like a bunch of rookies these young talent and he's looking so good with them like so much better than Mason Rudolph and I don't know if Doc Hodges is necessarily a like the the it's probably like Gardner franchise Minshew. he's probably like Gardner Minshew where he has, he might have a chance to be a, a starting quarterback but yeah, he's, not he's, like he's making the most of this moment, and uh, I absolutely would want him to be the backup moving forward, You know, assuming that Ben Roethlisberger does come back healthy next season. But just like looking at all the guys he has, all these young players, like I can't imagine how good Doc Hodges and this offense could be if he had someone like a veteran like Julian Edelman or James White to throw into his offense. Like just imagine how good he could be with those kind of weapons that Tom Brady has in Foxborough. So... Yeah, absolutely. Doc Hodges and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, now that offense is starting to come alive. The defense is so great. Big game against the Bills this week. And, uh, you know, if the Steelers can win that, then they put themselves in the number five seed spot and seem to be in great position to get a wild card. Yep. And then we'll see where things go from there. So with that, let's move on to the NFC side. And Ben, San Francisco 49ers, they have all year – won games and we've been waiting for the kind of moment where they really prove that they are a legitimate championship contender in the nfc they suffered a heartbreaking loss to the seahawks a heartbreaking loss to the ravens and it looked like they were going to suffer a heartbreaking loss to the saints this past week but jimmy garoppolo was heroic pulled out a 48 to 46 shootout win in the superdome and i think it's time we start asking are the 49ers officially the best team in the NFC. Yeah. Also, I know you mentioned our two heartbreaking losses. Never mind the fact that we totally smacked the Packers. Uh, and and people don't even look at that as an impressive win because we won by so much. But the Packers, are, they're a good football team. Uh, but let's focus on the Saints here. Have you guys heard this make Jimmy beat you narrative? It was like the key to beating the 49ers was just basically yeah, he's, make Yeah, he's Jimmy the biggest Ruffle. weakness. Yeah, yeah. Like he's the biggest weakness of the team. He's just a game manager. He's not clutch. Um, and I don't know. You tell me. He threw four touchdowns. Oh, but oh, Drew Brees threw five. Like I guess he's not a clutch quarterback, except that one was poached from him because Emmanuel Sanders threw a touchdown, um, which still proving to be an extremely important acquisition. Emmanuel Sanders, who also he had a huge game even outside of throwing uh, a touchdown. Um, Robbie Gold healthy again, no kicking problems inside of a dome. Uh, he was perfect on the night, six for six on extra points and two. Uh, clutch field goals including the one that iced the game uh Debo Samuel recently has been one of the best rookie wide receivers in the whole league uh really stepping up in a 49ers wide receiver core that has 
really underperformed this season, part of the reason why they had to go and get Sanders. But since Sanders' acquisition, uh, Debo has been amazing. And obviously, George Kittle. Coming through in the clutch. Big players make Absolute big plays. Absolute monster. It was just, like he carried like three guys and drew the face mask penalty. Like the Saints just abandoned all like respect for the rules and said like we have to try to rip this guy's head off or else he's going to carry us into the end zone. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's been so long since the Niners have had like a true like legitimate star in this in this league. Like DeForest Buckner has been good ever since he came into the league, but he gets no respect. Like nobody cares who DeForest Buckner is. George Kittle, there are people who like George Kittle who don't like the Niners. Like they just love him because A his personality, but B because he's a bona fide monster on the field. And not only did George Kittle have like the play of the game against the Saints, he was also the highest graded run blocking tight end this week in the NFL, according to PFF. And you can decide if you respect what they do uh, or not. But the narrative that George Kittle isn't a blocking tight end, I seriously don't know where that comes from because you just have to look at him on basically any play and he's burying people uh, because he's just bigger than everybody else. Um, also, fun fact, Raheem Mostert, who has become the 49ers lead running back, and I say that with air quotes because Kyle Shanahan just uses the hot hand. Uh, there's no guarantee Mostert will get any carries in the next game because it, Kyle Shanahan might not uh, scheme for it. But he had a extremely efficient game, 69 yards on 10 carries for uh, 6.9 yards per carry, which is a very nice, nice. Uh, stat line for uh, Mostert. So, uh, yeah, I was... This was a thrilling game, probably my favorite of the whole year uh, because of the way it ended. Um, but I, I hope this, now this was the most entertaining game probably all season, no matter what the outcome was. Of course, it was different for you, but yeah, just as a neutral fan, that was sure. Definitely I mean, this felt a year. lot like the uh, Week One Monday Night game, Deshaun Watson versus Drew Brees, where it was just an absolute shootout and it was amazing. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 that's a <laughs> that's a lot of thoughts from me. Let me hear from you guys. I'd be all for it if it was uh if they if these two teams had a rematch in the NFC Championship game because it's trending that way right now and like I said just twice already it was the best game I've seen this entire season and from probably and like you said I think the Niners are they the best team in the league right now or in the NFC I I honestly thought it was the Saints this entire time but I can't even say that now if the Niners just beat the Saints in New so, Orleans in New Orleans in, in, yeah. in New Orleans yeah so. For right but now, here, I will Here's say the, the thing, though. Here's the thing. Part of the reason why the Niners won was because they were able to score on, like, the game-winning drive. If the Saints had been a little smarter, that game-winning drive doesn't even happen. It, like, because of two really bad missed tackles, the, the Saints scored. They needed a touchdown, no doubt. So they, they, were gonna, they weren't going to lay down and, and try to get it the last second. But if they didn't give Jimmy so much time, the saints could have ended this game and not even given him a chance. So we were almost, we were beneficiaries of bad defense on that last offensive drive by the saints. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely part of the group that uh, they win their games by their defense and their running game. And I haven't really, I've wanted to see a little bit more out of Garoppolo winning them a game. And after seeing that pass game on Sunday versus, uh, versus Saints and the Packers game, he's definitely doing his part right now. You know, I don't know how the numbers compare uh, specifically, but to me, this was Jimmy's best game of his career. Uh, just knowing how great he was, 
on the road, one of the toughest places to play in that Superdome against a great team who, I agree with Brian, I've said all season long, even when the 49ers were undefeated and the Saints weren't, that the Saints were the best team in the NFC. And I feel like I was proven wrong. And this is one of those things where this game, the Seahawks game, the Ravens game, they could have all gone anyway. Yep. But the 49ers got that signature win. And right now they have home field advantage. And they... Of course, it might come down to Week 17 against the Seahawks. Losing that overtime game is a tough one because you end up with a 13 and three wildcard team in San Francisco. But if the 49ers get that one seed, I it, it just feels like it it's theirs for the taking. And I, going into the season, I said it would be a disappointment if the 49ers didn't make the playoffs. And I never thought I'd even consider that would be a disappointment if they don't make it to the Super Bowl. But that's almost what it's starting to feel like. Well, they currently control their own destiny. Uh, so if and also the Seahawks, we'll, we'll get to them in a moment, but they're kind of they're, they're slipping. So we'll see. They they're are. still they these are. last three weeks are going to be pivotal, deciding who's going to win the NFC West and probably who's going to be the number one seed. One last thing on this game, though, before uh, before I'm done with my comments, the punt pass interference, no call. The Saints robbed again in the Superdome as the refs swallow the whistle on what was clearly <laughs> a pass interference. Right. Wrong. I've been getting trolled uh, at work by everyone who's like, yeah, you guys only won because the refs let you win because that was definitely pass interference. But, it, I mean, is there any merit to that? Do you guys agree with my coworkers? No, no, because um, I, I had no idea what was going on. Scott Hansen didn't know. But then what, Kenny Albert came in and said, oh, no, that's, it's a free-for-all. You can't have a pass interference on a punt formation. So yeah. I didn't realize that was a rule. I didn't realize it so either. But I never realized it either. It makes perfect sense, though, if you think about it, because the gunners are doing that anyways. You, the Gunners mm-hmm. only have two eyeballs. You know they can't be looking everywhere on the field and know that it's a fake punt and be like, "Oh, better stop being like being a gunner now and pretend to be a cornerback." Like the, it's a rule that makes perfect sense because otherwise you could just go for a punt and then not do it. And even if you don't convert, you just hope up for the pass interference or holding call because it's a pass play now because you ended up not kicking it. Like it, it, it does make sense that they didn't throw a flag because it's not a foul. Yeah, so I guess one thing, and you know, kind of going a little backwards here, but uh, something I forgot about. Now, on the topic of fake punts, I'm glad that we didn't mention the fake punt from the Steelers game because they ultimately won that game. But uh, that that was another <laughs> another noteworthy. I mean, there were a ton of it felt like punts were a big big deal, but of course that that was that one was really bad. Uh, it, I you know. Obviously, Jordan Berry you know, wouldn't have been able to save himself by just like chucking it somewhere where a Cardinals player was interfering with a sealer. What? But yeah, I mean, that, that play, um, it looked like it was kind of crazy in the Saints 49ers game, but just heads up football by the gunner if he even knew what he was doing. Yeah, there. he tweeted after the game, he said, I don't make the rules, I just play by them. And he's absolutely right. One more thing to mention before we go on to the next game. Uh, the trade deadline with the Niners and Patriots going after... Mohamed Sanu or Emmanuel Sanders. I preferred Sanders over Sanu, but I didn't really think it was that big of a deal at the time. Uh, after this past weekend, with Sanu being a total ghost on the field that day and Emmanuel Sanders just lighting up uh, the field with his legs and with his arm, 
I'm not really uh, enjoying that trade right now. I'm super surprised. If you had told me that the Niner, like the undefeated teams would trade for uh, Sanu and Sanders, and the one that the Niners got would throw a touchdown against the Saints, I would have said Sanu for yeah. sure. But here we are with Emmanuel Sanders, and I truly can't believe it. Even if this man only plays one season with the Niners, like he's already a fan favorite. Yeah, he's been awesome. I mean, to this point, that's got to be the the trade deadline acquisition of the season, right? That's huge because before they got him, let's be honest, it was really just George Kittle. But now it's George Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, and like you said, Ben, Debo Samuel has been better with Sanders in the lineup. Oh, yeah. And then even when he was injured in that game versus Seattle, he stepped up in his spot. That's right. So, yeah, I... That's John Lynch being just John Lynch. He's built such a a monster uh, in San Francisco, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, so uh, lastly, before we wrap up the NFL, let's talk about the the team that uh, I guess the 49ers really benefited from losing after that great win. That's the Seattle Seahawks, who, Ben, you were certain that the Rams were going to win this game. Or sorry, the Seahawks are going to win this game, but what happened? The Rams come out and win 28-12. to 12. I have never been so happy to be wrong. I was completely wrong. And I've never been so unhappy to be right with Jared Goff <laughs> actually having a good game. You know, don't look now, but the Rams are only a game out of the playoff hunt. It kind of felt like they were dead, especially after that blowout loss to the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. Yet they came out last week, dominated the Cardinals, and now this week, they they really dominate the Seahawks. I mean, Seattle's only touchdown was on a pick six. But uh, for for that Rams team, you know, they're, they're keeping themselves in terms of, uh, you know, playoff position. They're, they're keeping themselves alive. And the Seahawks, that's really detrimental, as you said, because now they're 10-3, and three, but they're the five seed if the season were to end today. I mean, look how crucial that uh, that loss was for the Rams when they played the Seahawks on Thursday Night Football, and they were down... 30 to 29 and Zerline is lined up for the game week field goal and they, he misses it by a foot. I mean, just think what if he hits that field goal and they're each a game closer with, uh, within the standings and, uh, it's, it's, it's looking better for the Rams, but I don't know if it's too little too late or if they can get the five or six seed. Is it possible for the Rams to be crowned the NFC East champions potentially? And then they could go to the playoffs instead of any of those teams. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like it would be fair to do that, you know, as given how bad the uh, the Cowboys and Eagles have been in recent weeks. But yeah, I mean, at this point, the Rams, I agree that it kind of feels like it might be too little too late. If you look at their next schedule, huge game against the Cowboys in Dallas. If they win, give them the NFC East, right? Yes, I totally agree. And for me, the the difference in this game was that the Seahawks offensive line could not play ball with the Rams defensive line they it Russell Wilson looked scared all night he didn't have that same escapability he normally has because the pocket was just collapsing around him um, all night long and really this is a Rams defense that is kind of underwhelmed this season because coming into the year at least I had I was very high on them and then you add Jalen Ramsey in there like there's no reason why this shouldn't be a great defense and uh, that we saw finally them playing to some level of potential uh, against the Seahawks which I I think was a huge part of it. Uh, but also the Seahawks offense kept shooting themselves in the foot. Like it felt like they never really got it going. Like there was bad snaps. Russell Wilson just 
you know, didn't have any, uh, any time to look besides just receiving the snap and then falling backwards. So, um, plus the Rams offense looked like, uh, the Rams offense of, of old of Sean McVay is a, a genius playing nine dimensional chess because, uh, that like Jared Goff was just hurling it. Uh, and I think, I think their game plan was Sean McVay would make all the decisions for Jared Goff on every play save two. He was like, you know what, Jared, you can decide where to throw it on these two plays. And that is where we had those two bad interceptions, uh, that were truly (laughs) surprising in a game where they were really dealing through the air. Yeah, of course, genius Sean McVay, you know, waiting until the Rams were nearly eliminated from postseason contention to finally unleash Todd Gurley and just seeing how great he is now that he's fully healthy down the stretch run. Uh, we'll see if it ends up being worth it if the Rams can battle back. They'll probably have to beat the 49ers in San Francisco or just hope for a Vikings meltdown. Um, and Minnesota's last three are the Chargers, the Packers at home, the Bears at home. So maybe it's possible. Uh, but the the Rams at this point, uh, we'll, we'll have to see where they go from here. It feels like they're playing really good football right now, though, which is crazy because the last time we talked about them, they only scored six points at home against the Ravens and allowed 45. But um, at this point right now, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, they, they, they also control their own destiny for the at least winning the NFC West. Um, they do not have the tiebreak over New Orleans like the 49ers do. Could be a huge Week 17 game. And we'll we'll see how that kind of plays out. If it's kind of like 2013, which I'm sure Ben remembers, when the 49ers Seahawks are the two best forget? teams in the league. Of course, the the Seahawks edged out San Francisco for the division and wound up having home field in that NFC Championship game. We could be headed down that path. I'm sure the Saints will, uh, you know, do their best to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, definitely a huge game, huge weekend for the 49ers, huge weekend for the Steelers. Uh, the Patriots play the Bengals on Sunday, so yeah, I will game. be enjoying the forty-point blowout because of how much better they are than the Bengals. And like you said, they have the play sheets and all the the play calls. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I feel like it's a little bold to assume Tom Brady can lead a team to forty points right now, but we'll <laughs> we'll if see the, if he can if, do that. If he can get those balls deflated before the game as well, I think they can win by 50. That's the key. That's the key. Put out all the sauce. That's actually yeah. what they were recording with the cameras was how the Bengals uh fill the balls with the air. That's like I the should, only thing I that matters. Should, they should put me on Sunday night or Sunday uh, NFL countdown or CBS uh, NFL today and like what's your analysis, Brian? Uh I think they just got to keep cheating and <laughs> Keep spying, keep deflating, and then we'll get the job done. Yeah. All right. So with that, let's move on to the college football playoffs. And we had our conference championship games this weekend. We have our final four teams. LSU is the one seed, followed by Ohio State, Clemson 2-3, and then Oklahoma rounding things out at four. So we have LSU, Ohio State, Clemson. All three are 13-0. All three won their conference championship game on Saturday. And that was the order the committee decided to seed them in. So I asked you guys, did the committee get it right with those seeds? Yes. I'll go. Yeah. I was going to (laughs) say. It's that simple. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say yes, too. Just because looking at the teams, uh, one of them has one loss. So give them the four seed. But then when you look at the three teams, one of them has been Alabama and Georgia. Two pretty, pretty good teams. And they beat. Both of them convincingly. So I think LSU does deserve the number one overall seed. 
Yeah, no, LSU is the most obvious, like LSU and Oklahoma equally obvious choices here because LSU is obviously like looks like the best team based on their quality of their record and they're undefeated. Um, and Oklahoma, one loss, you got to be fourth with a bunch of undefeated teams. But then between Ohio State and Clemson, it's I think it's Ohio State undefeated has played against competition and then Clemson undefeated hasn't really played against competition. And that was the, the reasoning why I was going to say Ohio State should be two and Clemson should be three. If that is the case that Clemson has not played anyone this year. I think even Clemson fans would agree that this is the right ranking. Even the, Well, some would say, no, we should obviously be number one, but they're being disingenuous. The, it, it makes sense based on the strength of schedule that Clemson would be three. So I, I agree. Clemson absolutely is three. They're only, I think they beat A&M when they were still ranked. I don't know if that counts as a ranked win. Of course, they beat Virginia in the AC Championship game, who was number 23. But that's it. They don't have the resume to sack up with LSU and Ohio State. To me, the bigger question was one versus two with LSU-Ohio State rather than whether Clemson deserved to be above either of them. And I think LSU and Ohio State have very similar resumes in terms of uh, both having big wins, beating top 10 teams. LSU maybe had more of them, but Ohio State had a lot bigger wins. Now, you know, I know Brian said that LSU beat Alabama convincingly, but it was only a five-point victory. I think that was yeah, the biggest win were, of the season, they though. They were winning most of it. You're half, right. Yeah. Bama came back. I know back, they came absolutely. back, but they still, they still grinded out a good victory there. I agree. I mean, it felt like LSU was always in control of that game. Best win of the season, going into Tuscaloosa, beating that team, and Georgia just dominating them in the SEC championship game. I think that's really what put them out because Ohio State was down 21-7 to Wisconsin at halftime. And while they beat Wisconsin and Penn State in the regular season, they beat Wisconsin in the conference championship game. Two of those games were at home. One of them was on a neutral site. They didn't go into an opposing stadium of a top 10 team and win a game, something that LSU did with Alabama. And back in week two, they did with Texas when we thought Texas was back. And uh, while that didn't necessarily turn out, I think LSU did have the strongest resume. That being said, I think Ohio State might be the better team still because LSU has a bit of a shaky defense, and while I think that they uh, Joe Burrow, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner, presumably is going to have no problem tearing up Oklahoma's Big 12 defense, I think Ohio State's defense is very good. Clemson's defense is very good, and that could be a bit of a challenge. So part of me kind of feels like Ohio State, even though they're not the one seed, they're the better team. Clemson could certainly beat them, but uh, I think whoever wins Ohio State-Clemson is going to win the national championship game. And I, I think a lot of people are... Uh, really big on LSU right now because of how they beat up on Georgia. But uh, to me, that's that's how it's going to come down to. Uh, well, so we're talking predictions now? because I mean, we don't necessarily go to predictions, but I'm just saying in terms of like, it sounds like you guys think LSU is the best team. Yes. Like, deserving of the one seed because they are the best yes. and not be just because of their resume. Right, as opposed, to more the at, resume. as opposed to Ohio State should be two, even though I think Clemson is probably a better team than them. Um, it, their their record is, I think, reflective of where they are. That's that's accurate, but um, but also LSU, I think, is the best team uh, in in the postseason or in the playoffs. Their strength of the record is number one, so uh, all the metrics are in their favor. Um, I, I I feel like to me it's more one A one B one C than a clear one two three in this sure, situation. Sure. I think any I of those three teams can win. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess I also might be kind of feeling a little pessimistic because I want LSU to win, not just because SEC, but I hate Ohio State and I hate Clemson. I think both of their fans are obnoxious, and I don't want to see either of them win, but I just kind of have that feeling that whoever wins that game is going to win it all, even though the national championship game is in New Orleans. Um, so I guess let's you know move on. Oklahoma got the fourth spot. 
wasn't really a whole lot of drama in that. There were a lot of questions going into conference championship weekend. You had Utah at number five, and then Oklahoma, Baylor, six, seven. Of course, Georgia, yeah, if they beat LSU, they get in, and then, most likely, but everything fell into Oklahoma's favor. Yeah, Utah losing to Oregon definitely hurt them, and then uh, winning the Big 12 championship over Baylor uh, pretty much was set, in, uh, set for them to make the four seed. I would, with Georgia losing. With Georgia losing, um, yes, as well. Georgia it's been surprising to have them so out of the conversation for most of the season. Um, but having mm-hmm. them back feels feels right, I guess. Oklahoma is such a college football powerhouse. They've made it four out of five years now. But I agree. It kind of feels like Oklahoma came out of nowhere. You know, They lost to Kansas State. And I don't know if they were totally eliminated, but it felt like they were really buried by that loss. Yet other teams started losing, and uh, you know they're, they're here. And I, I was... I was hoping Utah would beat Oregon just to give us some drama because I was curious how the committee would view if, say, you know, Oklahoma beating number seven Baylor. Does that push them past Utah, who would have beat, I think, number twelve or thirteen Oregon? Um, who, but of who, course, we'll never see that. What if you're, let's say, you're part of the committee and Utah beats Oregon in that game? What if it's convincing, like a blowout or by a touchdown? Whatever happens, like, what do you think? Who do you think deserves? to be in as a four seed, if, assuming Utah won that game. Yeah, so I don't, I didn't know much about Utah all season. I knew Tyler Huntley was uh, at least you know, somewhat in the Heisman conversation, never really had a chance of winning it. I had no idea Zach Moss, their running back, was like an elite-type player. I've seen him uh, projected to be a second-round pick in the NFL draft this year. So Utah had a lot of great playmakers, a phenomenal defense. Um, Kyle Whittingham, I think, is a pretty solid coach. So I think they would have been very deserving to get in. Oklahoma probably have been the more popular team, uh, you know, across the country, my, just because everyone that knows was my, Oklahoma. That was my next question. Like, they know Jalen Hurts. With Oklahoma yeah. being the more popular, big name team, with and also having Jalen Hurts, former QB for Alabama, on their team, would that have been? Would that have helped them make the? Yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll never Utah actually where know. People don't really know anything about Utah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll never actually know you know, what kind of real Pac-12 bias there was, but I, I could have absolutely seen that happening. I also would have loved to see Oklahoma versus Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, just Jalen Hurts going up against uh, Nick Saban and his former team. You know, I would have had a little bit of the luster taken away with uh, no two attack of Iloa with him being injured. Uh, but, of course, Oklahoma's in the college football playoff and Alabama's in the VRBO Citrus Bowl. So, oh wait, wait, wait. Uh, but Jalen Jalen yeah. uh, Hurts will uh, first player to play on two different teams in the college football playoffs. Um, a little. He's the first noteworthy one. The uh, oh wait, is he I, not I the first one? Anyone? Because I saw. I that. know. I mean, that might be some like practice. Well, I, practice I saw that like on Twitter. Player, yeah. It was a meme. Like yeah. uh, somebody, I think it was like ESPN or one of like a more official sports account tweeted that, and then someone quoted that. It was like, everybody remember this. This will be the answer to one of those Affleck trivia questions of twenty thirty six. Like, who was the first yeah. player to play on two different teams in the college football playoffs? Like, oh, I know this one. <laughs> Jalen Hurts, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's I, – I don't know of anyone who was like, you know, they like started at Clemson and transferred to Alabama or vice versa. I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happened, but Jalen Hurts definitely is the most notable one coming to mind. Definitely so, first quarterback. Yeah, first starting quarterback at least. So, I, I, hey, he's he's a Heisman finalist. Uh, you know, like I said, LSU's defense, I, I don't love him. Uh, maybe Oklahoma can win or, you know, at least put up some points in that one. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I at least do feel like LSU is a better team in that matchup. So uh, I guess, you know, before we get into predictions, though, feels like this year, uh, you know, maybe maybe just this year, but at least this year, there's no reason to have more than four teams. And Ben, I know you're a huge fan of expansion. I don't know if one year is necessarily going to uh, change your mind on that. But, you know, what are your thoughts looking at this field and like what you would like to see moving forward? Uh, this year is a great argument for not expanding. And we'll really see as this, like once we watch these games, if four is too many. Because we'll see. I mean, the top three, it's hard to... I don't know. We, we had to see how these games go. But the way I see these games going, I think there's two teams that are legit, which seems the way that the playoffs usually go. And that's a great argument against opening up to more players as much as or to more teams, because as much as we love more football, there's you're not really proving anything by having like the best teams totally destroy teams that don't deserve to be uh, in the postseason. La- last year would have been a good year just to have the two teams because Alabama and Clemson just wipe the floor exactly and uh, i like i don't know that that whole we talked about on a preview on uh, a few episodes back but like the importance of that uh lsu alabama game like there are playoff quotes like in quotations uh games that happen during the season because there are so few spots in the postseason and uh, like i don't think this lineup the way this season ended changes that at all It, it four is enough if it went, if they kept it at four, or if they went from four to eight, it, as a casual fan, it'd be whatever for me. But just don't try to chase what college basketball is, where <laughs> there are upsets everywhere. Brackets, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's just yeah, have brackets. Like, it's just they're never gonna be able to do that, of course. So just stick with stick with whatever works. And if it if if it doesn't work, and they need more teams, or if they just need the two best teams, then then go from there maybe maybe expand it to six and let the number one and two get buys uh that way we can have college football playoff games that are hosted at a team that's like a higher seed or whatever uh if they play that extra game but i'm only saying that because i I, again yeah i kind of like brackets like it really isn't necessary based on the teams that we're seeing right now yeah i i mean absolutely this season four is perfect you know number five is two losses and we've never seen a two-loss team in the playoffs. This isn't a year where it's choosing one 12-1 team over another 12-1 team. It's just pretty simple the way the playoffs played out. We all saw Georgia get destroyed by LSU. We don't need to see them play Oklahoma just so they can get another chance at LSU. We don't need to see Memphis get a chance at LSU as the highest-ranked um, group of five team. And, you know, if, if Oregon beat Arizona State, then maybe uh, we could— throw them into this field as a number four over Oklahoma but I don't know if we necessarily need to throw them in with two losses either so absolutely four is fine I'm surprised they're going to go past it I'm surprised but. the what for the five years that they've had the college football playoff there hasn't really been too much controversy anytime the bracket is revealed in college basketball there's always that team that oh that team definitely shouldn't have made it like why do they make it with all those losses to to all those teams in their conference and they shouldn't have made it i I feel like i'm surprised there hasn't been that much controversy with i mean i I think i think most years there's at least a little bit of controversy being able to decide between four versus five usually there's a solid tiebreaker uh but it's it maybe it's not necessarily fair to say that this team is clearly better just because they avoided a big upset or you know they their loss came earlier in the season or whatever 
Um, this year, absolutely. There's, there's the controversy was the one, two, three, and I think most people outside of Columbus, Ohio, think that the this was a perfect field um, in terms of the way that everything is ranked. Um, so, I guess with that, let's move on to our predictions. So, um, Brian, why don't you get us started? Uh, I will go with LSU over Oklahoma. And then I'll go Clemson over Ohio State with Ben possibly needing a therapist uh, with Clemson beating Ohio State and maybe winning the national championship. But he won't need to call one because LSU will win the national championship. All right. I uh, will follow it up. This might sound familiar to you guys because Brian literally just said it. But I I looked back over history. I looked over the illustrious long history of uh, – Clemson versus Ohio State, and Clemson has never lost to Ohio State ever. Um, in three whole meetings, uh, Clemson has never lost to Ohio State. In fact, the last time they played, Ohio State failed to even score a single point. Uh, so I really don't love that matchup for Ohio State. I think Clemson whoops on them, and the upstate of South Carolina collectively pats themselves on the back saying, we were right all season long. We are great, even though we like go to the bakery all season long and play against cupcakes. Um, we're still a good football team, and, and they'll silence Ohio State. Unfortunately, I, I know that our, our listeners, our big Ohio State crowd, are not loving what I'm saying. I hope I'm wrong, but I, that's just how I feel. Uh, and then LSU, I think, is going to smack Oklahoma around. I think it's going to be reminiscent of Alabama versus Oklahoma last year, where LSU is just going to take off to a huge lead, and Oklahoma will score a few times throughout the game, but it's never going to really be that close. Uh, and then we're going to have Tigers versus Tigers in the natty, and I'm taking the Tigers to win it all, and uh, <laughs> which I'm referring to LSU, just like Brian. All right, uh, so I, I agree with you guys, LSU over Oklahoma. I think there will be a lot of points in this game with a lot more by LSU than Oklahoma. Ohio State-Clemson, I know that Clemson has uh, barely beat any decent teams this year uh, with just how bad the ACC has been, but they've been beating everybody by 40. They're absolutely a great team, as much as I hate to admit it, and they're very deserving of being in this position. But I think Ohio State is just a little bit better uh, with Justin Fields and then Chase Young on the opposite side of the football. Uh, I think that Ohio State is going to finally get it done and knock off Clemson in a very good game, very close game, and then carry that momentum into a victory over LSU. Not something I want to happen. Not something at all I want to see happen. I absolutely <laughs> want the loser of Ohio State Clemson to lose to the winner of LSU Oklahoma under any circumstances. Uh, but I feel like I've I've seen college football go against me in plenty of times that I just I can't help but say that Ohio State Clemson winner is going to win the national championship and in this case that's Ohio State for me. It's probably a good thing Corey picked Ohio State because we probably would have lost ninety percent of our listeners if he didn't pick. But but, but, okay, but you listen to the way Corey said it, especially you Ohio State listeners. Corey says they're going to win, but he won't like it. He doesn't want it to happen because he's not an Ohio State fan, but he thinks it'll happen. You know what? I hope that 90% of our listeners are Ohio State fans because if Ohio State fans make Cardell Jones winning the national championship the greatest U.S. sports moment of the 2010s, <laughs> but don't listen to our podcast, I'm going to be even more upset with them. Like, I, I love my, I, you know, maybe a little late on this one, but I love the argument I was seeing from some Ohio State fans that LSU destroyed Georgia 
So Georgia clearly isn't that good, while Ohio State struggled to beat Wisconsin. So Wisconsin is clearly better than we all thought they were. What? No. No, that means LSU destroyed a team who is really good. So they're clearly the number one. Ohio State did not destroy a team. So that's why they're number two. That's that's bad. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, right? It's like, also, oh, man. also, it is pretty funny that Cardell Jones is in the Sweet 16, but it, it's kind of, to personally, even though I'm not really a Villanova fan, it's kind of upsetting that it will probably be Chris Jenkins' national championship winning shot. And I know both are kind of the same thing where they both win the college championship, but like, Chris Jenkins hit a buzzer beater to win the, the national championship, and Cardell Jones, okay, he came in for a few games and they won. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Just, I think one is a little bit better than the other. Well, the people will As decide. North, the yeah. people will yes. tell us which one actually yeah. is better. The the people from uh, Ohio, that that great state, will tell us which one is better. Um, as as a North Carolina fan, I reluctantly voted for Chris Jenkins just to save the integrity of this bracket. Just looking right now, Chris Jenkins holds a fifty one to forty nine percent lead. So this truly could go either way. If you listen to this before I don't know, like one a.m. Eastern time, then you might be able to swing this either way. But with that, let's move on to the top five to round out today's episode. And we're, we're uh, rounding out this decade. It is December 2019. Before we know it, the calendar will flip to 2020. And something we've said in the past is that the top five is inherently not about sports, even though we may choose some sports things that are in a given top five. It's never really a sports theme, but we thought... Being a sports podcast, you know, we did do a sports theme to end the year last year. Well, we do have at least one more episode for you this year. Why not do our another sports segment, but our own personal sports accomplishments of the 2010s, counting down uh, our personal best and favorites in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so before we get started, uh, let me just clarify that we are sports journalists, not athletes. You know, don't expect to hear any kind of uh, you know, super impressive things in here, but I, I, I do think... Hey, can, speak for I, yourself. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going All right, pro. so Brian, why don't you get us started? All right, uh, so for my number five, it is called uh, All-Time Pinch Runner, and when I was a freshman in high school... I made the baseball team, the high school baseball team, which was pretty neat uh, considering I was playing baseball my entire life or ever since I was seven years old. Uh, so to make my high school, high school team was was terrific. But at the same time, it kind of sucked because I didn't do that much. I was, I'll admit, I was very limited in my skills where I was only good for my speed and everywhere else I was kind of useless. Uh, whether that was at the plate, uh, or in the field, I didn't have a lot of power. I was decent contact there, but it was really just uh, how fast I was, which was the reasoning why uh, I made the team. There was I remember one conversation I had uh, with a varsity player uh, on a player a high school te- high school guy on the varsity team in one of my classes. He said, "Yo, Wells, I heard you were fast," and I said to him, "Like, yeah, I'm pretty fast, but that's that's about it. I'll admit, I was." Basically, Dave Roberts just stealing bases and nothing else. Uh, so that was my number five choice, uh, which leads me to my number four, which is high school Olympian. 
I wasn't great at baseball by the end, but I did, because of that, I decided to do track because track, it's literally just, even though there are some jumping events, long jump, high jump, and shot put, uh, it was it's mostly running, and that's what I was good at, and I even got to qualify for a state meet in the 600 meter dash, and I ended up in the top five in the state uh and in that event wow and is that um 600 meters how many times is that around the uh uh indoor it's 200 meters so it's three times around track an outdoor track that'd be one and a half okay so so a whole track is 400 meters so that's so if you see an outdoor track yeah that's one and a half um times around it and i my best my my personal best was 125 and uh it's definitely a lot of hard work uh, getting that and what I also liked about track was the amount of friends I made including Corey but we were we were friends before track but we got to do track together for a year which was which was great and so I had that as my number four uh, my number three I went with MVP and most and most improved player of my uh, city basketball team I was certainly not good enough to make my high school team uh, but like a lot of people I played in the city league and one year, or actually two years, I won Most Improved Player. And our my second year with the C-League team, which was called the Jets, uh, we made it all the way to the championship. And uh, I was the quote-unquote sixth man on that team where I was a bench player, but I played a lot of minutes. And uh, I all I did was shoot. Like... Like in baseball, where I'm all I'm only good for running. In basketball, I'm only good for being that typical white guy, Kyle Korver, JJ Redick, uh, kind of player, where I'm just good at shooting, and that was it. Just get open and shoot the ball. Nice. What do you uh, remember? What your highest like point total was? In a game, uh, I had twenty once. Wow. I'll admit it was only because I went ten to ten for ten at the free throw line. So half of them were gimmies. Hey, points uh, are points. Right. Uh, so. 20 points was my PR in terms of uh, most of my points in a game. My last year, I probably averaged like, yeah, 10 or dozen points a game because uh, by, by my last year, we weren't very good. And there was only a couple good players on the team. I, I was telling Corden this before we started, we started this episode. Uh, I remember when I got my MVP award for that team, the coach literally said, yeah, we have two good players. And one of them is older than the other, so we're gonna give it to Brian. <laughs> in my last, <laughs> in my last year, uh, with the on my Bantam team, so that's the only reason why I got it. But still, it counts. Uh, so I went with that as my number three, and then my number two, I went with defensive flag football player of the year. Uh, my senior year of high school, Corey d- started a a league. Uh, of like about the Nashua Flag Football League. The Nashua League. Flag Football League. And there's about 40 people in that league. Oh, yeah, the NFFL. NFFL, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I I would be considered the biggest steal of the draft, but I wasn't drafted. I was undrafted. I was basically recruited by someone in one of my classes saying, yeah, uh, B-Wells, we're, we're short a player. Want to join? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and... I'll admit, I was pretty good. I I I did uh, outrun a lot of people, and I did play pretty good defense. I was kind of the Ed Reed of uh, of the league, where I 
picked up, had a lot of interceptions and pick six. Didn't you have like three in a there's, playoff There was game? one game, not to brag, but your brother kind of sucked at quarterback. <laughs> And I got three pick sixes off him because he couldn't read the defense very Wow. <laughs> that is Ed Reed. So if, so if you're listening, if you're listening, uh, Corey's brother, uh, yeah, you're, you you're trash. <laughs> <laughs> the Jared Goff of the NFFL <laughs> is his new nickname. So, uh, so I got the most votes and I won defensive flag football player of the year. Uh, I don't have a trophy for that, but if I did, I would certainly put that one all the way at the top of my trophy. <laughs> uh, so I went with that as my number two. And my number one for best sports, personal sports accomplishment, I put becoming a co-host of a podcast with you guys. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool that I get to do a podcast with you guys uh, and get to keep in touch with Corey and get to meet you, Ben. And I have a lot of useless crappy sports takes and now i get to have useless crappy sports takes on audio <laughs> sharing it sharing it to the world and our seven listeners how great is that uh, but in all seriousness it's uh fun doing a podcast especially with you guys and sharing sharing our takes and sharing other personal stuff so i went with that as my number one that's nice uh, sports accomplishment hey, we're glad to have you brian and i must say we have way more than seven listeners so way more people i said that sarcastically <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm ready to do my top five um and this top five was my um idea Corey was looking for top five ideas and i i submitted this one uh because to say the truth, I just love bragging about my sports accomplishments, and uh, so it's finally time for me to do that. So number five, I've got um, I I won. So when I was a kid, I played a lot of soccer. I've been playing soccer since I was four years old, and I went to a lot of soccer camps. Uh, and sometimes at soccer camps, they would give out awards at the end of the week. And back in the summer of 2006, I went to St. Joseph's soccer camp, and. I wasn't the best player out there. I wasn't the tallest. I wasn't the most skilled. Um, but I hustled hard, and I had a good attitude every day. And at the end of the week, they pro- they gave me a water bottle that said "Teammate of the Week," and I won Teammate of the Week at St. Joseph's Soccer Camp. And you know what? I'm I'm really proud of that one. I I think that that says a lot about the way I, I go about playing sports. So number, f- it's a great great character award. You, you're a you're a great teammate on the podcast, so I can see why you'd. Win well, I that. appreciate that, Corey. I think we I think that's uh, some because we have such good chemistry, you, me, and Brian. It's it's uh, it's a package deal, and um, yeah. So I I really cherish that award. Um, but don't worry, after this, it's all my actual physical sports accomplishments. Uh, moving on to my number four. So when I lived in Oklahoma, I uh, got into basketball not only because I was a Thunder fan, but also because it's just. There's more basketball going on there. Uh, there's a lot of r- leagues you can join and a lot of courts you can play on. And uh, I had my best game ever. See, more mo- most of the time, I, I played the four um, because I was one of the taller guys on my team. And... I was I had no skills, so it was all about getting rebounds and giving the ball back to the scorers on our team. Uh, but I had one particularly good game on six uh, twenty twenty nineteen. I had seven points, including going three of four from the line and getting the W uh, for the team. So it was in a in a league where I started off not even being able to make an open layup uh, to scoring seven actual competitive points. I was extremely proud of myself. 
and uh, it's still my best stat line uh, in a basketball game. Uh, so that's my number four. Moving on to number three was my Alden Smith flag football game. So this one happened on August 30th, 2016, and it was actually uh, the first game of intramurals. It might have even been a preseason game, but it was the first organized flag football game we played that season like with referees and stuff. And in that game, I picked up five and a half sacks. Uh, and I'm not actually sure how you even get half a sack. I, I posted on Instagram about this game, which is how I have the exact date and the stat line, but it was just, uh, an all out, uh, hustle to the quarterback. The, the, the team we were playing against definitely wasn't prepared for the edge rush that I brought that day. And five and a half sacks was by far my best flag football game ever. I I think, I think the NFL should uh, recruit us. I mean, we got Ed Reed and Alden Smith <laughs> on this podcast. That's one right. hall of one hall of famer and one maybe could have been a hall of famer if he wasn't such an idiot. At yeah, the, he, at he, the he airport wasn't in other places. Time after time after time. Yeah, <laughs> only only seventeen chances. And the reason I say that is because on Colin Kaepernick's first start against the Chicago Bears uh, back in I think this was twenty twelve, uh, he. Colin Kaepernick had a breakout game, but also Alden Smith recorded five and a half sacks that that night. Ah, that that makes sense. I mean, half a sack in flag football, so you probably pulled the left flag at the same time someone pulled the right flag. That so. may have been it. I, I'm I'm being honest. I don't even remember. But five and a half sacks was what I put on Instagram. So I'm gonna I'm gonna trust former Benj or past Benjamin uh, that it was a correct stat line. But I do remember absolutely eating that night, and uh, it felt good to be good at football. Something that's really hard to do when yeah. you're as skinny and as scrawny as me. Um, <laughs> so that was my number three. Corey, uh, one missed uh, opportunity that I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Pat, no, go ahead. But one thing that we missed, we, we, we could have done, we could have had the NFFFL, National Fantasy Flag Football. <laughs> we could have drafted our, we could have drafted ourselves. Drafted ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> number one pick. Uh, I picked myself. All right, you can be in charge of keeping track of the stats for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but moving forward to my number two. Um, so this one is actually a, a accomplishment I'm like unironically proud of. Is uh, I played varsity soccer for two years, and in my senior year, uh, we made it to the upper state championship uh, 2013 uh, in South Carolina for triple uh, A schools. And it was the furthest. We had always been a good soccer organization that just like we would win our conference, but then we'd fall apart in the postseason, um, just historically. And that year, we made it all the way to the upper state, which is the semifinals. And unfortunately, we did lose. But our run through the playoffs went down in history on our high school's Wikipedia page. Uh, it actually talks about how we went to the upper state championship that year. Uh, be, and also the women's basketball team also went to that state championship that year. So it was a historic year for our high school team. I was a starter. It was really cool to be playing like important postseason soccer. And uh, we also didn't go away as complete losers. Like we still won our conference in a season where we only lost one uh, game. Definitely uh, a fun time being on a team that wins all the time and being a part of that. And my number one, this one is truly unique. Uh, my freshman year, I did not make the soccer team because not because I wasn't skilled enough, in my opinion, but it was because I was I was tiny. I was really short and didn't weigh very much. Um, the coach even told me the reason I didn't 
bring you on is because you're just too small to play. Uh, then I hit my growth spurt, gained like 20 pounds and like a few inches of height and joined the t- and I made the team the next year. And then I played every single minute of the season uh, for my entire JV season. There's no postseason for JV. So I played every single minute. And towards the end, the like the, the waning minutes of the final game of the season, we were winning by a lot. Like we didn't need me in the game. And my coach like calls me over to the side. He's like, hey, do you want to sit? And I was like, no, no, I need to finish this perfect season. Uh, and I ended up uh, with finishing with all of the minutes. And uh, that is my number one sports accomplishment. They, they never took me out. Like Joe Thomas of the Browns having like 10,000 minutes worth of playing time with his, with his uh, years of the Browns. Something yeah, I'll absurd. take it. I'll take the comparison to Joe Brown, yeah. uh, Joe, uh, Joe Thomas. He's a uh, two, <laughs> Joe two Brown. giant linemen. We're giving comparisons to for Ben. That's right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that, that's that's awesome. I, I was wondering what you meant by Iron Man. I was like, there's no way you just means playing all like 14 games. The of the Tony season, Stark or just was. coming out of every single minute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he he built the uniforms of the team. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, so I guess, yeah, one thing. So Ben, you are, you know, of course you're wearing your 49ers gear, but you're playing soccer in the album cover. Uh, so that's, you're not just doing that coincidentally. You are of course a, a big soccer fan and a, a big former soccer player. I'm, I'm, I will say that I'm disappointed that I don't have any golf moments in my top five. <laughs> I don't play nearly enough that I could have too many great ones, but you know, this summer I came so close to getting my first career birdie. Beautiful uh, first shot on a par three. I think I left it about eight feet from the hole. And it was right in front of the cart girl too. She was like, hey, nice shot. You know, as she was giving my, my mom and her friend their white claws. Like I was like, oh, I'm feeling so good about myself. And I just choked under pressure, wound up with a par. I've had enough of those that I couldn't single out one. Uh, so I'll get to my top five. You know, one thing. I, I guess kind of fitting the theme of yours, you know, I could play, throw out plenty of, uh, you know, great moments from pickup games, but no one wants to hear about the time I scored 17 points in a game to 21 uh, or the time that I hit a, a opposite field grand slam into my friend's neighbor's <laughs> yard playing wiffle ball. So let me come up with some of our actual organized sports. Uh, and at number four, uh, I'm going to go back to my high school track career and uh, something that Brian alluded to before we ran track together for one year. And that was because I waited until my senior year to actually join uh, the team. Really, I should have done cross country. I've always been a pretty decent distance, long distance runner. I would, I remember in like eighth grade, the first time I ran a 5K, I maybe ran like once or twice on a treadmill the week before, and I did it in 28 minutes. So obviously not a great stat, but for someone who never did it, it felt like I kind of had some wasted potential. Uh, but, you know, after a trying season, uh, you know, not doing great in winter track, uh, just kind of struggling in spring track, I finally decided, hey, I need to run the mile. That seems like a good distance for me. Maybe a little long, uh, but let's let's go for it. And then the one time I run it, I ran it in five minutes and 36 seconds, four seconds short of prelim- preliminary qualifying for states. Um, I'll- that close to earning my Letterman's jacket, you know, it'd been, <laughs> <laughs> you know, real, real nice if I got that shot at state. That's still um, super but, fast I mean, I, for a mile. It was, hey, it was a, a great accomplishment for me. It just made me wish that I had tried the sixteen hundred sooner, and maybe I could have actually shaved off those four seconds uh, from start to finish of that season, or just had I started running track freshman year instead of senior year. Uh, so yeah, that that moment number five, number four, my own flag football moment, and. 
I thought about throwing out uh, when my Jets beat Brian's Vikings to win the National Flag Football League championship game, but I threw a, a heartbreaking um, interception in the second game of the season that led to a loss, got benched and you know, relegated to center and like third wide receiver on the team. So I only had one catch in that championship game. Didn't do much myself to win. So one time that I actually did something intramural flag football, probably the only really noteworthy thing I did in my three years playing at uh, University of South Carolina happened in a playoff game when you know, I, I uh, channeled my, my inner ball hawk at strong safety and uh, probably got some help by Ben coming in on the blitz and came away with my only interception of my career. Uh, there was a, a little congested area. I wasn't able to take it back for a touchdown, but I set us up beautifully to score on the next play. So uh, that, that was my, my big intramural moment with a Huge interception in a playoff game. And the only reason why it's number four uh, was because on the, I think immediately the next play on defense, I gave up like a length of the field touchdown, just got totally burnt because the other team was like, all right, we're picking on this kid, <laughs> put it back in his place. <laughs> so uh, that's my number four moment. Number three. So I think we've all had gym class hero moments from you know time to time. I had a if nickname. Like me, I once had a nickname, gym class hero. Gym class hero. Yeah. I could see Brian being the ultimate gym class yeah. hero. I had a few moments in my career, uh, but one of them going back to sophomore year, that was actually the last year that we had to take a formal gym class in school. And it was a, a game of dodgeball. So I think we had a few choices of what we could do that you know period because there were only 12 of us who played. So it was six on six. And Basically, my team got down to only one person, and the other team had six people. I was that one person. And look, this is gym class. This doesn't matter. I could have easily just said, all right, I give up. You know, you can, you know, get me out, and uh, we'll we'll do a different Went game. Went all out no. Gordon from Dodgeball. I, yes, I channeled my inner <laughs> Gordon Pib. You know, I saw my mail-ordered bride in the crowd flirting with some guy and got super mad, <laughs> and I just started taking out the other team. You know, I'm running all over the court. I caught a ball to get someone out and get a, my own teammate in. We wound up finishing off the last person. I was just soaked after that. I don't know if I've ever sweat that much in gym <laughs> class. I, and this is second block, so I still had two more classes I, I'm ago. Just... I just remember going to Spanish. Everyone's like, Corey, why are you so sweaty? And I was like, the first person I told him, we played dodgeball, and I came back from down 6-1 to one to win. And they're like, hey, that's awesome. I'm, I'm just, and then I... other people asked, and he was like, he, he won in dodgeball. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just picturing, I'm just picturing Corey just... Just giving that awkward high to his wife that's not paying attention, or girlfriend that's not paying attention to him. <laughs> and, and then he just gets mad with his goggles and, and just, just lights up the, uh, the, the room. I mean, that that's basically what it felt like. Uh, it was, that was a huge, huge win. You know, it unfortunately didn't lead to my team winning $50,000 in Las Vegas. But uh, that was that was my, my highlight for uh, my gym class hero moments, at least of the 2010s. Middle school, I had a few I could talk about, but those were... Unfortunately, more than 10 years ago. Number two. So I think uh, anyone who's kind of familiar with me knows that one of my favorite sports is basketball. And when it comes to basketball, I can do one thing really well, and that's shoot three-pointers and everything else. I'm kind of a liability on the court. Uh, But I think in games throughout my career, I had a lot of times where I'd be great in practice, I'd be great in warm-ups, you know, just being able to sit there and just get fed the ball and knock down threes. But when I got into the moment in the game, you're running up and down the court, I just, I don't know if it was just a pressure or something, but it it didn't always work. And I had a a few games playing in our, our, uh, you know, 
rec league uh, that, that Brian mentioned winning MVP in that I, I would hit three three-pointers in a game. Um, and I think 11 was the most I ever had in terms of total points, but I couldn't just get over the edge and hit that 4-3 in the few opportunities I had. But then finally, this spring in uh, my, my work league, so this was something that's loosely organized. We didn't have refs or anything, but you know, people got together and played and uh, you know with, with teams, had a real season, real playoff competition and stuff. And I had one game where I finally hit four three-pointers, finally had you know 12 points, which I, I had done that um, in other work league games without hitting four threes. But yeah, that four three went in. And it's just so great when you have other people, you guys got to cover him. He can hit shots out there. And uh, yeah, to me, that was my, my work league Stephen Curry moment, or as I like to call him, say, Stephen Corey. That's right, Stephen Corey, because earlier Corey was like, no one's impressed when I like totally destroy like in a, a, a game of twenty one. Like I win a game of twenty by seventeen points. He was talking about playing against me and some friends. Where, no, because <laughs> uh, when you don't have any skills at all, going up against someone who has yeah. a nasty three pointer like Corey, it's uh, it's a death sentence, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I will say that was actually a game where it was me and my brother. We were camping, playing with a bunch of people who may or may not have ever played organized basketball in their life, and it was just back and forth between the two of us. And they kept letting me just shoot twos to knock it down and get our team back in the game. Um, so yeah, that that was a big one for me. Steph Curry. But that's my number two. Yes, and number one. No, I know I've said that I was going to go with mostly organized stuff. My number one moment was kind of organized, but much more unofficially as opposed to being a part of you know gym class or high school or work league intramurals. So this was my my sophomore year of high school, and every year my family would go on some kind of you know tropical vacation during our February break uh, up in New Hampshire instead of having just one spring break in March we'd have one in February and one in April and that February we went to Cancun so we stayed at a resort it's called Moon Palace it was great it was huge not a lot of people there so we they had a basketball court and basically every time we were there it was just our group so I think there were like seven seven or eight kids that we had um, and we would, we would always play basketball. We would play a ton of knockout throughout the week and just like out there up until they shut the lights off and we had to go in the room and watch, you know, Spanish Nickelodeon. Um, but finally toward the end of the week, uh, we had gotten the, like all the dads that were there to agree to play the kids in a kids versus adults basketball game. So we played five on five, you know, full court. We had timers and everything, you know, two different halves. And it was just, it was a legitimate basketball game for as legitimate as you can be for a family vacation. And with about one minute, just under one minute left in the game, the the kids, we just given up a score and now we're down 37 to 36. So we're, we're, or sorry, we were down 30, we were up 37 to 36, gave up a score to go down 38 to 37. So we're going down the court and, you know, we need, we need a score here. We need to go up ahead. If we don't score, the adults could very easily run the clock out on the next possession. Of course, there's no shot clock and it's, it's a long court. So we got a score here. And what happens? The ball comes to me in the corner and you know what happens next. I knock down a three, swish. I'm running down the court, throwing my finger in the air. All which, the moms which are going finger? crazy. <laughs> my my left finger. This is my my index, index finger. finger. Okay. My okay. one. I'm not holding up a three. I'm holding up one because this time I'm number one. 
and the adults go down the court and they have you know 25 30 seconds a chance to score they're throwing up shots I remember my dad having like two or three layups just couldn't get anything to fall eventually kick the ball out go down and that's it buzzer sounds we win 40 to 38 I'm MVP, the hero of the game. That that was my wow. ultimate one shining you know, moment hero wow. shot. Yes. <laughs> so you know, it's a game that d- didn't mean a ton in the grand scheme of things, but it meant a ton to me, and uh, that's why that's my number one greatest sports accomplishment of the twenty. I really what hope we don't. Do, I really hope if uh, if for some reason we're doing this podcast in 2029. I hope we don't do personal sports accomplishments again of the decade because it's that list is going to be pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be any any high school or college moments to turn to. Like, oh, okay, can we sure. can we set up flag football again so I can, so I can <laughs> win the award again? Guys, the decade's almost over. I got to play some sort of sports. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, that'll wrap things up for today's episode. I'm gonna plug it again. Greatest U.S. sports moments of the twenty tens. Day, final four championship. Go vote Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. That's at He's Done It Pod at H E S D O N E I T P O D. Exclusively there. Go do it. It doesn't take long for you to tap a couple buttons. And uh, let's let's get that honor to the most deserving because we want as many votes as possible from as many people throughout the country uh, to be able to make that happen. So. For Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells, I'm Corinne Botney. Thanks, everyone.